0: Well good morning, my name's Matt, glad you're here. Uh, For some of you it took a little extra work, didn't it? Uh, You had to plan ahead, you had to look at the roadmaps. Maybe you followed a a good app on your phone that guided you faithfully here. I found once uh, I got on Bigelow Boulevard and coming up over the hill over the Bigelow Slingshot, as we call it, uh, that there was actually less traffic. It was kind of nice. Uh, once, once we made the, the turn into North Oakland, things uh, generally went well, but it's, a, it's an added twist. One of the great joys we have of uh, being a church that, that uh, serves this community and is located where we are is we get to have, uh, we get to respond to some of these fun and exciting things. Um, I should have invited our children to go, but uh, many of them found their way out. If you're going to Children's Church and haven't yet left, we invite you to join the teachers that are eagerly waiting to receive you. Um, we're in a in the midst of a sermon series in, the, uh, in which we are thinking about the role of money in the Christian life. Uh, this was spurred by uh, a couple things we've been talking about as a church. We uh, have been thinking together about the potential of uh, of trying to acquire property of our own, whether buying or building, having a permanent footprint in Oakland. And through that process, uh, it was pointed out that we haven't talked much about money. Of course, any, any process of getting a building would require buying one, it would require money, and as we reflected on it, we realized we haven't talked much about this, and so we've been pausing for a couple of weeks because money is a big deal in the Bible. Jesus talked about it a lot. It was one of his uh, main themes And and part of the reason it was such a big deal for Jesus as it is in the New Testament is that how we think about money and how we use money says a lot about what we value. Jesus said, show me your treasure and we'll know where your heart is. In other words, uh, what you value most says a lot about what's most important to you. When, um, treasure, literal treasure or money, it becomes the most important thing for us. It's a window into what's ruling our hearts, into what is functioning as a God in our lives. Uh, We could summarize it, I think, simply this way, is that uh, when we find that we love money more than anything else, when it becomes central in our lives, we will end up using other people And using God for our purposes. In other words, if what we love most is money, we will use God to try to get it and we will use other people for that purpose. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like someone was using you for money, maybe making a sale? We recognize that sometimes churches that talk about money can give that impression. I'm just looking to you to give me money sort of an awkward position to be in, right, when someone is doing that to you. But the opposite is also true. When we come to love God more than anything else, He leads us to love our neighbors. And then we can begin to use money to honor God and to love people around us. The sermon today, we're going to be thinking about how we could use money to love people. And it's going to be a specific form, and perhaps more than other sermons in this series, we'll be thinking a little bit about one of the issues that's in front of us, this concept of how we, how we might make a decision on trying to pursue a building or property for ourselves. I'd like to frame it not only as a decision of, about loving people, using, perhaps using money to love people, but this passage will invite us to think of it in a particular form. We're going to use the language of inheritance and say that we can use money to love people in the future. That's what we're going to be talking about as we see this passage today. So I'll read it. It's a long passage. We won't be able to see everything in here. But we'll see a real, a real theme, a thread in the passage of how Paul is orienting his thinking about loving future people. I'll read uh, beginning. Uh, this is 2 Timothy who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware of all who are in A- that, that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagilus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisaphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not afraid of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant me, him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. I spent Friday at a track meet, a track invitational. Uh, if you've not done it before, um, you should heed the warnings. You will probably hear in advance. It's long, it's tedious. There are a lot of runners, and it takes all day. Uh, students I know who were there arrived around 12 and didn't leave till late 30 or nine. I wasn't there the whole time, but I spent a lot of time watching people run in circles. <laughs> I was reading the text uh, for much of the time, found a little cool spot in the stadium, sat, read the text, thought about the sermon. And I, I couldn't help but notice an interesting comparison. As I watch the runners running around the circle, handing the baton to the next person, continuing the race one from another, relays would be run, sometimes a total of one lap, sometimes a lot of laps all together. The handing of the baton is an important activity in a relay. One leg is run, the baton is passed, someone else moves forward, and together as a team, the race is completed. Couldn't help but think of a, a powerful analogy to the Christian experience. Christianity is a, a process in which Christians pass their baton of faith to someone else. The passage we're looking at today is really a passage in which the Apostle Paul is passing his not just faith, but ministry to Timothy. The baton is being passed, and as you may know if you've watched any number of relays, the passing of the baton can be shaky business. You begin to ask the question, will the next leg be run as well? Will the baton be dropped? Will someone be disqualified? We see in this passage that the Apostle Paul is passing the baton at a particularly precarious time in the life of the church. I wanted to read a long section knowing I couldn't deal with everything in the passage because we get here a picture of the life of the early church at a really important point, a really important transition. Paul, the apostle, knows that his time is drawing to an end. He's back in prison again. Uh, generally in in history of the church, we've not thought of this as being the same imprisonment Paul experienced earlier, described in the book of Acts. It's believed he was released at that occasion. After all, in all of his writings that we find earlier, he, he didn't have the same sort of dark shadow of dread hanging over him. But it appears that the tide of events has once again swung against him. Paul has been imprisoned again And as he writes about it to Timothy, he writes with the sense that this really is going to be the end. Early church historians tell us that Paul was killed uh, under the the reign of Emperor Nero in the mid-60s. AD. And that may be that he's writing with an awareness of that uh, coming judgment, that coming finality. He has the sense that his part of the race is is drawing to an end, and he has to pass it off to someone else. Later in the letter of Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I have already been poured out as a drink offering, and that the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul has completed his leg, so to speak, of the run. Have you ever watched a runner running very hard in some of these races? And I saw this just Friday. Sometimes they, they throw themselves over the finish line and collapse on the other side of it. Even as we speak today, throughout the city of Pittsburgh, people are running a long race. Some of our friends and neighbors are are running and they, they sometimes will just stagger across the finish line collapsing. That's kind of the sense we have here. Paul says, I have been poured out in my life in ministry. He's honest in this passage about the suffering that was part of his running this race. To be a faithful witness to Jesus was for all people and especially the Apostle Paul a difficult thing. He was following Jesus in his suffering And he had a sense that having completed the the task, he now hands that over to someone else. It's In this passage, in his letter to Timothy, it seems as if more than normal, Paul is reflecting on the transmission of Christianity from one to another. He he says something very, very interesting in uh, in the beginning of verse 3. He talks about serving God, and he says in sort of an offhand way, as did my ancestors very interesting all of Paul's ancestors lived before the death and resurrection of Jesus but he has a sense that in their the knowledge in their limited knowledge there was a faithfulness and and he he recognized he's he's receiving from them this faithful call to service I wish Paul had said more about it but it's an interesting offhand comment that he makes when he talks about Timothy though he's more explicit he reminds Timothy, who will soon be receiving the ministry as Paul, Paul finishes his race, it's going to be up to Timothy to move forward, right? We, we don't have on record a third Timothy, right? It's possible Paul wrote again, it's not recorded, but there would be a time very near in the future from this moment in which there, Paul is no longer able to write Timothy letter, letters, no longer able to give guidance, no longer able to direct him in the challenges that they were facing. The the baton would be fully passed. Paul's race would be run and Timothy would continue without him. It's an essential thing. And Paul, as he speaks and anticipates the passing of the baton, he reminds Timothy of all of the things that have been passed to him. As they anticipate the passing of the ministry, Paul reminds him of the passing of faith. Faith. He says, I remind you that the faith that is in you was first in your grandmother and then in your mother. And now I am sure it is in you. You know, the the passing of faith from one generation to another is an important part of Christianity. It's a really important part of what we think about doing as a church. Uh, Many of the things that, that we invest a lot of time and energy in as a church are part of passing faith to the children of our congregation. It's an important thing. Uh, whenever someone is baptized, we have vows to them. We say, as a congregation, we will come together and assist you as a church. We will come together to try and encourage the passing of the faith from one generation to the next. We invest significantly as a church in our children's ministry. We've announced uh, plans that over the summer and into the fall we'd be forming a committee that would help us to investigate how we can have a full-time youth minister to care for middle school, high school students. It's a big, really big deal for us. And, And we also pass our faith in other ways. We're heavily invested as a church in college ministry. We have supporting campus uh, staff on on many campuses throughout the region, and we've sacrificed over the years to be accessible to students, to be in Oakland so students can get to us as close as we can to the center of this part of the city, knowing there's a lot of young people here at a really important time in our life. and One of the reasons we say it's so important is we are fighting to pass faith to the next generation. Some of you are here today and because, uh, in a sense, we, we, we've been working hard to try and include you. It's been very important for our church from, from the beginning. We also seek to pass our faith in other places. We support Christians who go out in ministry to other parts of the world. We've been heavily involved in church plants over the years because it's a form of passing the faith one to another. Grace and Peace is a church in the city that we helped to plant years ago and we've worked in, in very significant ways to partner with Redemption Hill and now with Mosaic Church in, in Jeanette, seeking to encourage the transmission of faith to another group of people. Christianity is always only one generation away of ex- from extinction if we don't pass on the faith to someone else. So, we want to recognize the significance of this going on in the passage. But I want to zero in on one significant aspect. As we think about the passing of the baton, one of the things that people historically have thought of when they've thought of passing along something to someone else is they've asked the question what condition do I give it to them? How can I make sure they receive this in the best way possible? There's an aspect of this passing of the faith I want to draw out as we move through the passage. And and that is the idea that as we pass along faith, we want it to be in the best possible circumstance. And though the word isn't explicitly used in the passage, the idea of inheritance is found in the passage. Paul reminds Timothy, he says... I'm giving you this baton of faith, and I want you to remember that through my laying on of hands, God gave you a gift to help you as you go forward. Everyone who runs in a relay race wants to set up the rest of their team for success. They want to run hard so that when they pass the baton, they give it to them in the best possible circumstances. And when we think that way, we're thinking in the biblical language of inheritance, Now, I know that was kind of a long setup and explanation, but I want to do three things around inheritance here as as we, we unpack it. Inheritance, and just even on a human level, describes the way we gift people as we're in the process of transitioning faith to them. Secondly, we'll remember, though, that the most important thing of all, the passing of the baton, is faith itself. And third and finally, we'll see encouragement for God's work in our lives as we seek to pass the gift of inheritance, the gift of faith to other people. So there's three things as we unfold this idea moving forward. First of all, uh, what does it mean to have inheritance? The Bible tells us that just on a flat human level, inheritance is a good thing. One of the Proverbs tells us this, it says in Proverbs 13, 22, you have this in your additional scriptures, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Someone else will have it, so to speak. A good man leaves an inheritance that will be passed along. Now, this idea has been very important in human culture in all places down through history, just on a basic level. One of the ways people most often experienced inheritance in in history has been through land. Language of land and inheritance is important in the Old Testament. But often people, when they inherited from their parents, inherited land. Not just property rights, but often land that had been cultivated and developed. You can imagine an earlier part in American history where um, someone had spent their whole life cultivating land, building a barn. In history, most people were farmers. And at their death, their parents would pass that along to the next generation. Now, since we're not all farmers in history, the idea of inheritance isn't just land, but also could be money. We're able to save money so that we give something to our children. Often we experience that now, not only at someone's death, but many of the ways that, that parents pass inheritance onto their children is while they're alive. They, in many ways, one of the most important ways they do it is by investing in their education. Uh, social scientists would look at American culture and say the primary way wealth is passed in American culture is parents helping and assisting their children in their education. So they acquire the means to earn money and have a career. This is just at a flat level. I know uh, for my father, uh, he had to work to put himself through college. It was really important to him that he would be able to provide that for his children and even for his grandchildren. It's one of the reasons he continued working uh, into his late 60s. He said, I really want to be able to provide something that can be passed along. That impulse is incredibly important because it, it is a fruit of thinking about love for future people. It's an impulse that's increasingly countercultural. If you're familiar with the, uh, the, I think, the excellent musical Hamilton, sharing the story of founding fathers in America, one of the themes that's drawn out repeatedly is the desire of those characters to leave something for future generations. At one point, uh, Hamilton sings, and and for those of you who are not familiar with history, there's no evidence that uh, Alexander Hamilton actually wrote any rap songs of his own, um, but they're an effective part of communicating the story in this musical. Uh, and, And he says, I want to, what I really want is to leave a country where my kids can thrive in. It's driving impulse for him. I want to leave something for my kids. I want to have institutions they can thrive in. I want to have, I want to sort out our problems so that that they don't have to face the same things. Really important, really important driving principle. It's essentially love for future people, right? It's a really important expression of love. And it is increasingly being lost in our culture, isn't it? I mean, when was the last time you heard a politician talk that way? All right, guys, we're going to do something hard because we want to leave a better future for our kids. We're doing the exact opposite. As a country, every year we go further into debt. We are creating burdens for our children. They're going to have to pay it off. Rather than leaving inheritance, we are a culture right now that draws life from future people. We are consuming future people the process of saying we're going to think hard about something that will help people in the future actually is pretty countercultural maybe we just don't have confidence to believe any of it's going to be there in the future i don't know why why this radical change but i think it's one of the greatest signs of uh, cultural disintegration we can't think together about how to help anyone in the future uh, the reason I'm, I'm going in, into this so much is that uh, in many places, the New Testament takes these principles and explicitly applies them to the Christian life. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he goes out of a, a, makes a big deal out of this. He says, I want you to know that this, the reason I'm caring for you the way I am, church in Corinth, is because parents are meant to sacrifice for their kids, He says, children are not obligated to save up for parents, 2 Corinthians 12, 14, but parents for children. I most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That real physical, earthly reality many people can relate to. Paul says, that's what I'm doing in the church. When he went to Corinth, Paul worked independently as a tent maker to make money so the church wouldn't have to pay him. And it seems like the reason he did it is that Corinth, though they were pretty well off, they kind of had some messed up ideas about money. And he said, I really want you to know that what's going on here is me blessing you. I'm not trying to get something from you. He takes that principle of inheritance and he plies it spiritually. The reason I'm um, explaining this so much, is I think it's actually the only possible framework we can have that adequately describes a conversation we're having as a church. In two weeks, we're going to meet, we'll have a congregational meeting, we're going to ask the question, uh, do we want to commit ourselves to searching for property that we could own ourselves? That's a, a hard question. We don't know how much is possible to do We don't know. Uh, We don't know what's available. We don't know what we'll be able to do. But as we do the calculations around it, as we plan and talk together, the only real framework we can have is, is really this. We're asking the question is this going to be helpful for our church in the future? Is it going to be helpful for future people? It could be hard. And again, we, we do it in full recognition. We're not sure what's possible. You know, the, the Bible tells us that there are a whole bunch of ways to bless people, and not all of them are possible all the time. The, the, some of the apostles uh, in, in the book of Acts were walking down the road, and, and they, um, they saw a man who was crippled, who was asking for money, and they said, we don't have silver and gold, but we'll give you what we have. They prayed for him and he was healed. A remarkable power that they had available to him. In other places, the Bible is incredibly, incredibly uh, routine about this all. It, James says, if someone comes to you asking for food and you don't give them food and you have it, you're failing in your basic calling. Sometimes we love people actually through the physical stuff that we have. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said that that one of their callings in their life was to work so they could help people. He says, I want you to work with your hands. I want you to learn to work, he tells the Ephesians, so that you have something to share. To the Thessalonians, he said, I want you to work with your hands so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. One of the ways that we actually love people sometimes is, is by working and sharing. We don't always have the ability to do that. Paul, in speaking to Timothy, uh, many times he would work and work hard to have stuff, but he offers what he has. He says, through the laying on of hands, I gave you a gift. I, I can't give that gift to anyone. I don't have an apostolic authority. But we ask the question together, what do, what can we give together? that would be a blessing for people that would go before us. How do we love people in the future? For the last 20 years, City Reformed has been committed to ministry in and around Oakland. It's been good. Many of us are here today because those in the past loved future people. When I came to to Pittsburgh in the the summer of uh, 2005, I I joined a small group of people that had been meeting for worship that were committed to the church plant. And one of the things that struck me so deeply from the very beginning is that everyone I talked to had this deep abiding sense that they were doing what they were doing for people that weren't yet here. It was really powerful, and I think it's one of the great gifts that's been given to many of us. I'm a recipient of that gift people who who every week drove into the city sacrificially set up tore down figured out how to rent how to navigate traffic on crazy weekends like this because they wanted to provide the gospel for people who hadn't yet been able to enter into church community that's a, that's, a, that's not a natural way for us always to think is it that's gospel thinking I want to love people that I don't yet know. Just the uh, other day, I had the privilege of uh, joining with one of our partner churches, Bethany Baptist Church, opened a new sanctuary. It's been a long process for them. 12 years ago, they, they tore down an aged building they'd been meeting in the gymnasium of the rec center and slowly, slowly saving money to buy a new spot. And as they dedicated the new, ceremony, the, the new building in a ceremony, a young man in the church stood up and shared and he said, I'm so thankful for the people who went before me that sacrificed to make this possible. Sacrifice that we could open up our building for people in the community in their, in their outreach program. Sacrifice that we have a better place today. That's a powerful testimony. If we were to search this out, we have no idea what God might provide or what resources we could have. But if we were able to solve the problems of a more uh, stable, a better venue, a better place to meet, if we could figure out as a congregation how, how to solve some of the problems that have, that have been over us for 20 years, we would, we would be prepared to pass off the baton to the next generation with a, with a better inheritance, with a better gift. And I encourage you to think in those terms. Again, we don't know what we can. This isn't a sales pitch for doing a particular thing, but it's a framework of thinking that we want to love future people and hand things off better than what they are now. In her prayer today, Sandy was reflecting on, on tw- um, 20 years of ministry. It'll be 20 years, we've been a church plant, this coming February. We're coming up on a 20 year anniversary. and We asked the question, where will we be 20 years in the future? It forces us to, to wrestle with some of the ongoing challenges and, and consider how would, we, how would we move forward and seek to pass the baton better to the people who are after us. Now, that's the, the, the center, center of my thinking and the core of my message, but I want to frame it in closing in two other ways, two, two important things. And that is a, a reminder, even as we think about inheritance or blessing, the first reminder is that the most important thing we give is faith. There could be a way that we bless future people is by passing off the faith and passing off the ministry that has a a better place to meet than what we have now. That would be good. There's always a danger, however, that when churches think and talk about buildings, that they confuse the building with the faith itself. A building could be helpful for certain purposes, but it's not essential. As we enter into these conversations, we have to keep categorical distinctions. What is the baton that's being passed in this passage? There is a gift, a particular gift, one that only Paul can give, this supernatural empowering gift that empowers Timothy for the ministry that's ahead. But what is the heart of the thing that's being passed? That's faith. That's faith that's going to be passed along. You could pass faith without a building. The greatest tragedy of all would be to pass along a building without faith. But in the passage, we see an emphasis again and again on the faith. The faith that for Paul was first in his ancestors, though it was only in shadowy forms of the promises of God of a Redeemer that would one day come, a gospel that would one day be lived out in their midst, Paul looked with confidence at the faith that was passed, and he reminded Timothy of his grandmother and his mother who had lived in faith, and he had seen from their example the reality of trusting God. As, the, the, as Paul passes the baton here, he remembers and reminds Timothy what is most important of all there is a testimony about the Lord. A testimony so valuable and so central that it will be guarded with suffering. And it would be passed along in sacrifice. It's a message of life that comes through Jesus. Life, death that is abolished, life that is eternal. Verse 10, uh, back up just a little bit. God gave us in Jesus grace before the ages began. Verse 10, it's been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher. And he urges in verse eight, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, the testimony about our Lord, even when it brings difficulty and suffering. Are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we willing to suffer for the ministry of Jesus? Unless we are, we won't be able to pass our faith to the next generation. We can't pass along, whether it's to our children or to people who don't yet know Christ, we can't pass along what we don't hold as most precious ourselves. How we, of course, how we use our money to love people will reveal what is most precious, but at the core of it, really, the question is simply this. Do we love Jesus more than we love anything else? When we keep that in perspective, the other difficult questions we ask will fall into place. Third and finally, we see here a second reminder. that Though there are many things that Paul is telling Timothy to do as he hands him the baton of faith, all of it is grounded in the faithfulness of God. The language of inheritance is found in important places in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it describes the land, the the promised land that God has given his people. And the New Testament describes the future hope in which God restores all things, the whole earth, when Jesus returns. But the interesting thing is that when the language of inheritance is used, there is a real idea that people are empowered by God to pass things one from another but the foundation of an inheritance is that God is the giver who gives first. The only reason that ancient Israelites could pass the land one from another is that God had given the land as an inheritance to his people. The reason we can pass faith one to another is that in Jesus, God has called us to a heavenly kingdom. He's called us to the kingdom of light. He has given us the inheritance of the saints, the saints who through faith in Jesus walk in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of light, so to speak, as Paul says to the Colossians. The reason that we can guard the faith and hand it faithfully is rooted in a conviction that God is guarding us. It's a really interesting uh, thing happening in the passage. There's all kinds of uh, commands and active verbs. Paul's Paul's praying. Paul's active. Paul is is reminding Timothy of his responsibilities. He's calling him to guard certain truths. But then he says this. He says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. As as he urges Timothy to guard the gospel, he grounds it in the hope that God is actively present in our lives, guarding and empowering so that any of our good activity would be possible. Friends, we're we're gonna have a hard conversation, a good conversation, a necessary conversation about uh, what we may do now as a congregation that our church could be passed into the future better. Maybe that will involve the sacrificial work of trying to buy a permanent building of our own. Maybe we'll conclude that the best way to, to pass faith is not to do it, but we're gonna do it in this framework, the framework of loving future people. Most importantly, the framework that the center of what we have is a message of hope in Jesus. Above all, we wanna pass on faith. And finally, the confidence of knowing that all we do, anything God would would call us to do, he will empower and help. He may stretch us beyond what we can imagine. He may call us into something we didn't think previously to be possible but the hope is that God is active he has an inheritance prepared for us God is overflowing and abounding in goodness and mercy for his people if we're able to solve a problem we've wrestled with for two decades we won't have fixed everything we won't have made everything easy. The challenges of ministry will remain in different forms. But if we could solve a, a, together a venue problem that is, that is uh, plague does, challenge does, given us opportunity for nearly two decades, then we will be handing off a ministry. We'll be giving an inheritance to our children as we hand off a ministry better than we've received it. We will be able to do it only because God is the giver of all good things and He's able to work through us. Let's pray together.